How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome into Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. This is episode number one for us here. Uh, we're kind of bandwagoners. We decided to wait till the World Series to start this up. And it's kind of like if you're playing a video game, like if you're playing, you know, Madden 21 or something, you just sim straight to the playoffs. Screw the journey. All about the destination. But uh, to introduce you to the show, we're going to be reviewing, you know, beer, wine, liquor, a, a nice cocktail every now and then. But uh, yeah, most importantly, we're going to be talking lots of baseball. So we've had this in the works for what, a month or two now? It was an idea for a while, but, you know, Derek and I, we, as you mentioned, we're, uh, we're bandwagoners, and also on top of that, we're kind of slackers a little bit, too. So there's nothing better than sitting back, though, having a drink in your hand and talking baseball. And, I mean, with the World Series also around the corner here, what, what better time to do this than start it right now? And this is why booze and baseball with Derek and Dusty, this is the best time to kick this thing off. Yeah, so Dusty and I went to high school together. He works in TV. I work in radio. So it just kind of seemed like a matter of time before we became the billionth podcast uh, in the world. And Dusty, obviously, you know, he's he's gotten to cover working for a TV station down in Texas. Uh, he's been in the Arlington baseball pod. So being that that's where the NLCS was, being that's where the World Series is going to be, figured we would kind of capitalize on that and uh, get things going. So First things first, in our debut episode, um, don't forget to drink responsibly. And Dusty, what uh, are you drinking tonight? We might as well crack uh, what we have for tonight since we're both drinking a beer. Hey, or are you drinking a seltzer? I, I will I will share the story behind probably the, the worst drink that will be shown on this entire podcast. Cheers to you, DJ. Cheers. Uh, this, is a, this is a good one. So I am drinking Cape Line Sparkling Cocktail White Peach Sangria, which is about <laughs> the last choice I will ever have as a drink. Why do I have this? Well, because this is the only thing that was in my fridge when I showed up in my house about five minutes ago. Uh, I've been on the road for two weeks, and uh, you know I came home hoping, honestly, to have a Guinness. Uh, just around the corner, you can't see it, but there's a sign that says there's a great day for a Guinness. And so, unfortunately, this is what's going to end up being uh, the uh, debut for the good old booze and baseball with Derek and Dusty show. So cheers to that. We're going with the uh, the white peach sangria totally 
not down my alley. What about you, DJ? That is that is quite the debut. You're gonna get quite the reputation right off the bat for this. I'm drinking so uh, I'm I'm a Chiefs fan, and I'm drinking a it's called a Kingdom Blonde Ale. It's Golden Road Brewery. So I'm a Chiefs fan, but we went to high school together in Southern California. This is a brewery, Golden Road Brewery, that is in Southern California. But I don't know if it's the the makers of the beer or the owners of the brewery themselves, but apparently. This beer is made by Chiefs fans for Chiefs fans. That's what the saying is. So it's pretty good. If I were to give it a, a review, I think this might be something fun we can do. I'll give it an, an RBI single. You know, it gets the job done. It's bringing the run home. It's not quite a home run, but it's something you're going to enjoy each and every time. It's, it's not something you're going to complain about. Uh, if you watch the NLCS, uh, it was the fourth inning. Max Muncie stepped up with the bases loaded against the Atlanta Braves and really had a huge opportunity to put the Dodgers up ahead. And he straight up struck out, missed, ended the frame. That's exactly what this thing is. This is trash. <laughs> I don't want any more of this. And honestly, just for the folks at home, I'm going to finish this for y'all. But uh, I'm going to be a one and done with this. Uh, this. There's a reason why nobody else wanted this. And uh, I, am, I honestly, I promise I'll have better drinks once I'm actually living back where I'm at. But I've been on the run, and so, unfortunately, the reject is the uh, the number one here today. This is a strikeout. This, this is going to hurt the average a little bit. i got to be honest. I'm hitting zero right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, and if you want to suggest, you know, what we should drink, whether it's your favorite beer or a cocktail or whatever, um, some type of wine that you think is really good, uh, let us know. It's boozeandbaseball at gmail.com. Let us know. Also, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And we also made a TikTok account. Don't know how I feel about that just yet. We're, we're going to have to figure that one out here uh, if that's actually going to be used. So if you guys use TikTok, um, give us any reasons why we should actually use that. Please tell us that. But, yes, boozeandbaseball.gmail.com. Well, if you keep drinking those seltzers, maybe you'll be up and dancing around for TikTok. But uh, let's go ahead and get on to our World <laughs> Series preview. I mean, how amazing is it the first, you know, 18 playoff that we have on both sides in a season where it's it's a short sample with COVID-19, and yet we wind up with the two best teams. We wind up with a one seed versus a one seed. Right, and when you look at it, too, it wasn't very easy to get those two one seeds. When it comes to the Rays, yes, they did sweep the Blue Jays, in the wild card round, the Dodgers swept the Brewers in the wild card round, but it was not easy for either of these teams. The Rays had to go to five games with the Yankees. They went to the full seven as well with the Astros, something that I think none of us expected. I mean, that team had a losing record going into the playoffs. And then on the National League side, the Dodgers, yes, they made do of the Padres rather easily sweeping them away, but then it looked like all hope was lost. I mean, they were down 2-0 and 3-1 in the series, and they were just able to hang on in game seven of the NLCS. And so, at the end of the day, to get those one seeds, I mean, you could have looked about three days ago and thought that was nearly impossible just on the Dodgers' end. Um, and also, I mean, a lot of people lost hope in the Rays towards the end there when they had that 3-0 lead, and I mean, they nearly blew that too. So very rare that we can get something like this, especially given the circumstances in a year where players could have potentially been, you know, taken out due to COVID as well. This bubble is actually working, and it didn't just work for the NBA and the NHL. It's working for the MLB as well. So very very interesting to see that these two teams, and I think they're the right two teams. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I mean, if you just add up the postseason record with their regular season record, the Rays would be 49-25. and 25. And the winning percentage there, that's equivalent to a 107-win team, which obviously very good. Uh, the Dodgers, 43-17 and 17 the regular season, 52-20 and 20 if you include the postseason record. 
that would equate to 117 wins in a 162-game season, which would be the record. It would be one better than the uh, 2001 Mariners. So, uh, yeah, this is a very deserving matchup. Honestly, it's kind of similar to the last two World Series the Dodgers were in, where you had games against the Astros, who are a, a great team, and, and obviously, uh, you know, a bit of an asterisk there, but games against <laughs> the Red Sox, too, in that World Series, and, and that was a 100-plus win team. So uh, this is a deserving World Series for both these teams. I'm really excited for it. Let's uh, go ahead and get into some of these individual matchups. Uh, we're going to call this segment Shot for Shot as we go back <laughs> and forth. I kind of want to start with the lineups between these two. And I think it's interesting with the Rays because they were able to get by the Astros and the Yankees. They were out hit. They were out hit 260 to 201 against the Astros. They were out hit 243 to 202 against the Yankees. They're just the third team since the outset of the divisional series to be out hit in both and make the World Series, that according to Jason Stark of The Athletic. And get this, they hit just 174 with runners in scoring position and that just kind of shows what's being valued now. I think you see it from both these teams. It's the idea that, hey, get on base and hit home runs. 72% of the Rays' runs in the postseason have come off home runs. The previous high for a team that made the World Series was the 1971 Pirates, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. I, I think that's kind of the trend that's coming on, and you're going to see that from both teams. But off, you know, just – paper I think you would probably lean toward the Dodgers in terms of lineup but uh, what's kind of your view between these two teams hitting well I think uh, the numbers don't lie with the Tampa Bay Rays one thing that's interesting just run production as a whole you looked at the ALCS it's not like the Astros had anything particularly impressive going after the Rays rotation wise uh, remember that Astros team this year didn't have Garrett Cole obviously he went to the Yankees they also had Justin Verlander lost for the season uh, and still, they were able to shut down the Rays for the most part offensively. That Rays team only put up five runs the max per game. Uh, it, really, at the end of the day, the Rays don't have offensive output that's beyond impressive, as you mentioned. They're very much swing, miss, go for the fences, and that's pretty much it. That's what those numbers indicate. And uh, for the Dodgers, you would like to think it's a similar approach, and some of those players, such as Muncie, come up. Uh, you know, Muncy came in with a grand slam that he had an RBI double that was clutch as well. But uh, ultimately, a lot of missed opportunities with runners in scoring position for the Dodgers. Uh, a lot of men left on base during the NLCS. And so both of these teams have the same problems offensively. I think the big factor is that Randy Arozarena for the Rays and Mookie Betts and Corey Seager for the Dodgers, as well as Will Smith. Those four players are the ones that actually have cashed in with runners in scoring position. The way that the team that wins the World Series this time around is going to win is because of cashing in those opportunities. And those four players mentioned, I mean, I like the odds just slightly with the Dodgers more because of the production that you have from those for L.A. The problem for L.A. is that's not how Dave Roberts decides to formulate his lineup. Instead of going with the top three hot hitters in his lineup, he'll put Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and then he'll have a Justin Turner that's struggling immensely and then on top of that, Max Muncy is very hit or miss. Uh, that's going to give the Rays a lot of opportunities and also a lot of matchup possibilities for the Rays with that bullpen. So I'm not expecting a lot of high-scoring games in this series. If you're talking about the lineup as a whole, though, I got to give the Dodgers a slight edge just because of what you have with Mookie and Seager at the top of that lineup. You're going to have to face them four to five times a game. At some point, there's going to be production issues um, for the Rays uh, across the board. For the Dodgers, at least you have that top that you can kind of count on and you have to rely, hopefully, that Max Muncy and Turner will deliver there in the middle of the lineup. 
Yeah, the Dodgers in the regular season were first in runs, first in home runs, uh, fifth in OBP, first in slugging, second in OPS. You compare that to the Rays, they were still, you know, above average in a lot of these, but 12th in runs, 14th in home runs, uh, 15th in slugging, 13th in OPS. Uh, They definitely have the advantage there, and the Rays are going to need to get more guys going because – in the ALCS, Randy Rosarena was phenomenal. He wins uh, the MVP of the series. G-Man Choi was really good, 5 of 13 for him. Mike Zanino, uh, who hit under the Mendoza line this year, had clutch hits in the series, but there just wasn't enough balance. I mentioned how they were getting out hit. Uh, Austin Meadows and Brandon Lau, to this point, haven't really made their impact. I mean, Lau had a great regular season, and he's 4 for 47 in the playoffs. So if they want to beat the Dodgers, they're going to need more balance because I think that's where the biggest advantage for the Dodgers comes in. They just have more balance throughout. And with the Rays, if you can find some more of that balance somewhere, like a guy like Austin Meadows getting it going, I think that would go a long way. But at the same point in time, that's also counting on a guy like Randy Rosarena to kind of continue what he's doing. And maybe he can, it, it's been an incredible run to this point, but it's, it's always, you know, hitting that next level each series that you advance on. One thing that I'll say with the Rays, they hit 795, or they had a 795 OPS, excuse me, against lefties in the regular season. It was only 738 against righties. Similar advantage in the postseason, 745 against lefties and 681 against righties. So that's probably good news for game one against Clayton Kershaw. That's probably good news if you're facing like Julio Urias. You know, outside of that, that's probably not great for Walker Bueller or Tony Gonsolin or Dustin May or Kenley Jansen or name your Dodgers righty down the road. And then I think kind of the key number that I'm looking at uh, for the Dodgers, on the other hand, is the fact that their splits between lefty and righty is favoring against right-handed pitchers. They slugged 442 against lefties in the regular season. They slugged 498 against righties in the regular season. Overall, the OPS difference, lefty to righty, is about a 60-point difference where they're better against right-handed pitchers. And the reason that's good for the Dodgers is while Blake Snell and their number four starter, if he does start, we'll see Ryan Yarborough, our southpaws. The other top two pitchers are Tyler Glass now and Charlie Morton. Those are both righties. And maybe more importantly, the three raised pitchers to record a save in the postseason for them, Castillo, Anderson and Fairbanks, all righties. And I think that going off that point too, the Dodgers have notoriously had struggles with left-handed pitching. The one thing that has changed for them this season is that Mookie Betts, uh, for the most part going into the year, actually, uh, he had a strength against left-handed pitching, but that's also been a struggle for him as well. So to your point, a matchup against Blake Snell may not look as good on paper for the Dodgers as this opening matchup against Tyler Glass now. Uh, the Charlie Morton matchup is the one that's going to make me very curious to watch. Of course, you go back to 2017, uh, it's Morton that shut down the Dodgers. And you know perfectly well, as you uh, you mentioned early on in this thing, that uh, that was the man that shut them down at the end to, to secure the Astros championship. And Morton has been lights out throughout this entire postseason. So uh, even with the righty-righty matchups, uh, you still got to have the human element involved in that. And you know that pitchers like Charlie Morton have been there and done that in the postseason. You have the mental element of Clayton Kershaw going in game one, obviously had a rough outing this last time around against the Braves. A lot of people thought that that might've been it for him uh, and the Dodgers before they made that three game comeback. And so uh, having the lefty on righty matchup for the Rays, that's going to be interesting to kind of watch as you go forward. But um, one, one key factor, I mean, it's going to be, can Rosarena stay hot? Because 
That that man is the one that leads that Rays team momentum wise. And they're the he's carried them this entire way. Uh, the long ball is really the only thing they rely on outside of him and even with him too. And so when you look at this at the end of the day, it's production from him against either Kershaw or any of the righties the Dodgers mentioned, like you said, uh, Dustin May is going to come in at some point in the series where still remains to be seen what Roberts exactly is going to do with Dustin May. Uh, from what it appears, of course, he's going to have him start probably game two. That's my honest guess is looking at where we're set up right now. He named a game one and a game three starter. Kershaw is game one, Bueller game three. I don't think I can tell you the last time that I heard a game one, game three starter named, not knowing who game two is. That is a very unique and just one of the strangest, most Dave Roberts moves I think I've ever heard in my life. Um, And so that's going to be curious to see kind of how he manipulates game two. And I think a lot of it's going to be because of how Kershaw pitches in game one. Uh, And so because of that, will the Rays respond in in that effort? I I think that he's going to do a stack like you saw in game seven. Uh, It's going to be all hands on deck every game for him that Kershaw and Bueller aren't pitching. You're going to see a a Urias and a May stack, so he's going to switch it up righty-lefty. He likes to do that a lot. Um, Gonsolin oftentimes piggybacks off May as well. You're going to see a different game on game two, I think, in game one especially. That's going to probably be somewhat of a bullpen game for the Dodgers. Game one, they're going to hope to get as much as they can out of Kershaw and likewise for Glass now. Um, I think Glass now, to say the least, has really shown that uh, while he is a young pitcher, man, that guy has – strikeout capabilities and against a team like the Dodgers that strikes out a ton uh, it's going to be really I think a deep game for both pitchers yeah so I'm glad you got into the pitchers because that was kind of the next uh, thing on this I think we both agree the Dodgers have the better lineup but like you said there's a human element involved in as well especially in a series that could be just seven games which uh, it's a lot for a series itself but over the course of, of things it can be weird. I think that the Dodgers, you know, Corey Seager has been the guy who's been hot. If that doesn't continue, they have other guys. If Randy Rosarena is not hot, it's a little bit different for them. You know, Cody Bellinger, who knows if the shoulder being out of socket more days off, if it's sore or anything. But I think at this point, we just assume that he's going to be fine because he came back in the game. Your Cody Bellinger finds weird ways to come back. Out of all the, out of all the guys in the world to get injured on a home run celebration, it would have been Cody Bellinger. It just makes perfect sense at that point. That that one, I take a shot for him alone after <laughs> watching that. That was painful to see. All right, we'll take a sip for Cody Bellinger, and then we'll uh, get on to the starting pitchers. So the starting pitchers, this is the first and third best teams in the MLB and ERA. I think it's kind of safe to assume that neither team's really going to have their starters go super deep in games. Like, we might see somebody go into the seventh, maybe, but – realistically both these starters are going to go you know five six innings or if it's a piggyback situation like you said if Dustin May starts game two who knows we might only see him go through the order one time if that so I I think that just kind of continues as well like you had the comparison of the two offenses that it's kind of the new trend of baseball I think that's kind of the same thing with these pitching staffs yeah when you look at first of all I think the Rays have a slight edge in this one and that's just because I think they have more starters that will go deep in this series and also because of who's managing the race. Dave Roberts has a tendency to have a short leash. And uh, while, of course, you watch game seven, um, and that is, of course, everything is on the line and it's all hands on deck. Uh, it was shocking, actually, to see Julio Urias finish out the game. I don't think anybody really saw that coming. Most people were anticipating he was going to bring in Kenley Jansen because that's the reputation Dave Roberts has. I do expect that that was kind of an anomaly. You're going to hope that Clayton Kershaw can give you six solid innings. 
Uh, Clayton Kershaw technically has had two quality starts this postseason, um, and actually that puts him close to the lead. He's, he's in the lead out of uh, these two teams for most quality starts. But as you mentioned, just not a lot of teams uh, at this point in time seem to get pitchers to go further than six innings. Uh, Dodgers and Rays both need Glass now and Kershaw respectively to get a quality start in game one. That's going to help build uh, moving forward. One thing to keep your eye on, though, in the NLDS and the NLCS, this was the first time ever that games were played on consecutive days with no breaks. This time around, maybe that leash for pitchers like Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller and Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now, and of course, Charlie Morton, maybe that leash is not quite as short because of the fact you know you may have that extra day to work with later in the series. So, for, for example, Clayton Kershaw, as of right now, looks like he would line up to go game one and game five versus if it was the NLCS, it would be game one and game six. Uh, it just puts you in a much safer position in the rotation. So because of that, you might see them go a little deeper, um, but I expect that leash to still, for the Dave Roberts side of things, be very short with his pitchers with Dustin May Julio Urias, and Tony Gonsolin, all of his young guys. Clayton Kershaw, he seems to always leave out there a little too long. That's part of where this narrative of his postseason struggles really comes into fruition. Uh, usually most of the damage hit against him is uh, in the sixth inning. His ERA is over eight in the sixth inning. And so that's where the problems lie. Dave Roberts probably taking a little longer than he should on the, the leash for Kershaw. I think if you were looking at this like in the regular season, you could say, hey, Dodgers have the better because they have more depth. And over the course of the regular season, that's that's very important as well. And I think the numbers would kind of, you know, process that out. The Rays starters this season, 3.77 ERA, uh, 1.25 whip, 243 batting average against. Dodgers starters, 3.29 ERA, that's better. 1.07 whip, that's better. 219 batting average against, that's better. Over the course of the season, that plays out. But again, in this series, you're going to, you know, shorten things down to four starting pitchers, maybe even three, and just kind of bullpen the other game. And when you're comparing the the top guys for the two, I think you're probably taking that one through three combo of Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, Tyler Glass now over Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, and then kind of just – pick your third, whether it's Dustin May or Julio Urias or Tony Gonsolin or whoever um, for the Dodgers. I, I don't think it's like far and away the Rays, but I, I would probably give them the slight edge. That game three between Walker Bueller and Charlie Morton, I'm already getting so excited for it. Uh, Ken Rosenthal for The Athletic put it this way with Walker Bueller. He just wrote a piece about uh, how good he's been in these pressure moments for the Dodgers. He's pitched three elimination games. And then if you add in the game one 63 tiebreaker for the division in 2018, and if you add in game three of the 2018 World Series, which wasn't a true elimination game, but it was almost a de facto elimination game because they were down 2-0. In those games, he's gone 31 innings and allowed just two earned runs. So that's a .58 ERA. He has 30 strikeouts to six walks, which that's crazy on its own for a guy who's had some command issues at times. And obviously a lot of that this year has to do with the blister. Uh, so he's been a big game pitcher. Charlie Morton, you mentioned that winner-take-all game against the Dodgers. Last four seasons, he's pitched in four winner-take-all games, and he's won all four. 
that is going to be kind of your unstoppable force versus immovable object matchup between those two. And I think that is going to be the game that I'm kind of circling the most, especially too, when you think about it, that if this does go to seven, that could very well be the game seven matchup as well. And I think that both managers have that exact thought in mind with the fact that you have that extra day off potentially between game five and game six. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. First of all, the glass now Kershaw matchup is going to be exciting in the sense of the strikeout. Most of these pitchers, both of these pitchers for that matter, they rely heavily on the strikeout to get themselves out of the ball, the, the inning. And when you look at Kershaw, a big factor has been that his curveball has been working and his slider has been the dominant pitch for him actually this postseason. On the flip side, Tyler Glass now is as just absolutely filthy stuff as it gets. Uh, but that game three start, you want the young Abueller with the, still this, the heart of gold, the man that can trudge out there and give you a six, seven, not necessarily clean innings, but innings that will most likely result in none to three runs per game. He'll give you a clean quality start. And Charlie Morton is a horse, man. Um, you know, one thing to put out there, Charlie Morton has thought about retiring after this season. So when you talk about possibly his last start being in game three of the world series, that has a lot of wear on that. And so you know that he's going out there thinking that. Um, so there's that emotional side of it, that he's going to have a little extra oomph to what he's putting out there against the Dodgers team that strikes out a lot. And Charlie Morton is as good of stuff in this league as anybody you'll ever see. So keep that in mind that Charlie Morton's going out there knowing that maybe, just maybe, this might be the, the end for him. And so as you mentioned, game seven, which I don't think is all that improbable uh, that we're going to reach to. I think these teams are very, very even. It's going to be crazy if that's what it comes down to because you might be seeing a couple extra inning games. Fun fact, with the NLCS, you didn't have one extra inning game uh, despite, despite the fact that both these teams kind of battled it back and forth through and through. Uh, you go to game three, of course, the Dodgers went 15-3, to three, and then game four, the Braves went at 10-2. So those were your kind of outlier games. As for the Rays and the Astros, the Rays seem to play – most of their games awfully close to their, uh, their competitor. And that's just simply because the run production is not necessarily there for them. Uh, and it's mostly because of the bullpen production towards the end of the ballgame. And so when it comes to pitchers like Charlie Morton and Walker Buehler, they want as much time uh, in innings pitched as they can eat up in ball games like game three, knowing perfectly well that when you get to that raised bullpen, it might just be game over for the Dodgers. If you're tied at scoreless ball game, tied one to one, you face that bullpen, good luck. Um, I, you got to be honest, though, that starting rotation uh, for the Rays, it does kind of have a slight edge, in my opinion, as well, just because there's no solidified number three starter for the L.A. Dodgers. I think it's so interesting, too, just to kind of harp a little more on the, the Morton-Bueller comparison because they do it so differently. Like, I mean, to compare this to, I guess, alcohol, so to speak, um, <laughs> we are boozing baseball. We are boozing uh, baseball. Yeah, Walker-Bueller is almost like a, a nice glass of whiskey. You know, it's stoic. It's I don't know. It, it, they both get the job done with Charlie Morton being like a shot of tequila where he's more, <laughs> I mean, he's not like super lively, but he's more emotion on the sleeve than Walker Bueller is. It feels like out there just in terms of like with Bueller, not that he doesn't show emotion, but like it is just a cyborg like mentality when he's going out there in these big moments. And that's why he can survive them. And Charlie Morton, it's, it's almost like, he understands the moment and he's basically saying, I accept the fear, but Hey, we're going to have fun with it. Like a shot of tequila. So <laughs> I would say I would throw out there, Charlie Morton though, give age in mind. You have two, you have a young starter uh, in Walker Bueller and you have Charlie Morton. Who's just a fine wine. That man 
did not develop until late in his 30s, right? I mean, he pitched with the Pirates, and most people knew him because he mimics Roy Halladay's windup, right? Like, you go back on that, that's what he was known for. Uh, and it really wasn't his name known until 2017 when he shut down the Dodgers. And so you sit back, you grab a nice fine wine, sit back and watch Charlie Morton deliver. Uh, Walker Bueller on the other end, man, he he finds danger. I would call him the fireball of this thing, man, because uh, the moment that you see him out on the hill, you know it's dangerous, you know it's going to be loud, and you know it's not going to be easy at all. It's not going to go down easily, uh, but you know that it'll get the job done. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what Bueller does. Um, that's going to be a fire game three. So fireball for Bueller, nice fine wine. We'll say he's a, well, I personally like a nice Cabernet. So that's, that's what a good old Charlie Morton is in my eyes. All right. I like that. All right. Let's finish things up with uh, the pen and I guess defense and, and the manager comparison here. Uh, since we both, I guess, are favoring the Rays in starting pitching and the Dodgers in lineup. It's interesting. If you looked at the regular season numbers, the Dodgers actually had the better bullpen. Now, uh, let me go through these numbers before we kind of get into the context here. But the Dodgers had a 2.74 ERA from the bullpen. That was second in the MLB. 1.04 whip, 8.9 K per nine, 207 batting average against, and a 595 OPS against. Rays relievers, 3.37 ERA. That was third. 1.19 whip, 8.8 K per nine, 233 batting average against, 664 OPS against all five of those numbers are worse than what the Dodgers did in the regular season. Right. I think where you start to transition to saying, well, I like the Rays bullpen better. I think there's a couple of reasons. One, it's the postseason performances where the Dodgers have been a little shaky at times. And Kenley Jansen has been shaky at times. Whereas the Rays have been, you know, that's that's been kind of the storyline for them outside of like Randy Rosarena in the playoffs. And it's just how well they've pitched in the clutch. Baseball reference tracks stats of pitchers when games are late and close. And that is defined as the seventh inning or later with the batting team tied ahead by one or the tying run at least on deck. So a lot of flexibility there. Opponents hit 188 in the regular season against the Rays in those moments. They were shutting down the opponent when push came to shove, and I think that came through in the playoffs. They have so many different different guys. They have – I saw somebody describe it as they have like an octopus of arms because they can come at you with all these different arm angles. It's like they have eight arms like an octopus. They can give you different matchups depending if you're righty-lefty, depending on what type of pitch you do well or don't do well against – it's, it's incredible what they have in that bullpen. So I would favor the Rays' bullpen from that standpoint, but I do think it's important to remember that the Dodgers' bullpen in the regular season was actually really good. I think the reliability is something that you got to keep in mind, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there as well. Um, you have Fairbanks that pumps 100 easily. I mean, it's just insane the arms that they have. Nick Anderson, in my opinion, is probably the best reliever in all of baseball, honestly. Like, is he your favorite? I, do you have a favorite Rays reliever? Yeah, I, I prefer Nick Anderson to any of them. And, I'm, uh, I'm a Fairbanks guy. You're a Fairbanks guy. Why, why are you a Fairbanks guy? Give me a reason. Uh, he just throws gas. He's wild at times, but he's fun to watch. I, I can't explain it. You know, they're, <laughs> G-Man Choi, like there's certain guys on teams everybody grows accustomed to, whatever sure. team. G-Man Choi is one of my favorite players in baseball, and I, I would not have thought that coming into the playoffs. But just like watching this big dude – 
do the splits, like scooping balls from first base and then just <laughs> hitting nukes in the batter's box. Like he is so fun to watch. When it comes to Rays players that I'm a huge fan of, obviously we could throw a Rosarena out there, but Willie Adamas, I think, is one of the most misunderstood players in all of baseball. Uh, he doesn't necessarily put out the offensive production uh, that you would want. He did have a good offensive year this year, though. He had a very solid offensive year, and people forget that he's a really young, talented player. And, and defensively, though, that, that's where the Rays really excel. And so seeing what Willie Adamas does in the middle of the infield there – kind of leads the charge as a young shortstop. Love seeing what he does there, but in the bullpen, favorite bullpen guy has got to be Nick Anderson. And that's just because going into the season, I told a lot of people, you know, I, I assumed Kirby Yates was going to be healthy. I thought he was the best going into this season. And of course, for the San Diego Padres being their closer, that went right out the door when he got injured. But Nick Anderson, in my eyes, was a number two, number three in the league just because of just the dominant stuff that he has. The swing and miss rate is absolutely ridiculous against Anderson. Uh, the reliability, I know this postseason has not necessarily been as great, but but ultimately if I'm going to go to any guy in that bullpen, Diego Castillo gives me nightmares if I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan. That whip is way higher than I want to see. Uh, he's given a lot of save chances in the regular season, and oftentimes he was loading bases up, runners of first and second. That's not the guy I necessarily want in the most clutch situation. Nick Anderson is the guy that has the most dominant stuff in that uh, bullpen and ultimately I think he's the best reliever that you're going to see in the World Series he uh, has a 100 percentile K percentage so he there is at go. the very top of the MLB well, this year he struck out 44.8 percent of batters that's insane and uh, last year was 41.7 percent so yeah it's incredible what this Rays bullpen has at the top with really those you know those three guys you mentioned Castillo and Sometimes he can get a little shaky, but yeah, I mean, between him, Fairbanks and Anderson, and then they've got other guys who, it just seems like they call up a random guy every <laughs> week and he just comes out throwing a hundred miles per hour. Um, as far as the Dodgers bullpen, you know, I mentioned those stats that they had a good season, but what is it that's caused them to be so shaky here in the postseason? Well, I think number one, you have to look at who that bullpen actually faced this regular season. While they did have to face the San Diego Padres, a lot of those close games, if you look back on it, was against the Colorado Rockies, who struggled on offense, despite having three elite hitters. Uh, against the Rockies, against the Diamondbacks, who were near the bottom in runs scored this season. The Giants uh, Giants had a better offensive performance than we expected this year. But even then, um, th those were the situations that they were thrown in. You go to the postseason, you face the Padres again, the one team that really kind of roughed them up. And then you face the Atlanta Braves, who have – maybe as good, if not a, as a better lineup than the Dodgers. It might be as good, probably the best in the league. Uh, it was top two with the Dodgers in runs scored, home runs. I mean, you look at it, they just had to face better hitting. Uh, the fear that you have to have as a Dodger fan is Kenley Jansen looked pretty good in the NLCS. I got to give him some credit for where credit is due. He had a one, two, three inning in game six. And I think a lot of people were shocked by the efficiency that he had during that. But ultimately that cutter is going averaging 89 miles per hour, 89 miles per hour. He used to average around 93 to 94. So he's losing roughly four miles per hour on that thing. And the bite is also not there. And you know, it's bad when your manager has to come out and say, I'm not sure I'm impressed with what I'm seeing from my closer. He even said Dave Roberts after uh, against the San Diego Padres in game two, that it, what he was seeing was just not necessarily what he was hoping for from his closer. And so, the reliability of Jansen, I think, is going to be something to monitor 
I'm not particularly sold on him. I will say this, though, and and it's going to be a long series. Julio Urias is a guy that I think can come out now. He's proven due to game seven that he can come in late in a high leverage situation mop up. That's kind of what Urias might do. I could see Dave Roberts, instead of using his key relievers, Kenley Jansen, Pedro Baez, Adam Kolarik, a former Tampa Bay Ray, by the way. Um, these were the guys that were setting up and closing for the Dodgers. And quite frankly, they just haven't been reliable. And neither is Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan is the one guy that you would assume would be the closer or the setup man for the Dodgers. But the way that Roberts is using him, he's bringing him in as early as the fourth inning. In my opinion, you may be seeing more of a Dustin May or a Tony Gonsolin or a Julio Urias. If they're not starting a game, heck, they may be finishing a game. And so it's hard to break down this Dodgers bullpen simply because we don't really know what it's going to look like even in the World Series. You would think by now we would know. One other thing that we haven't even mentioned, Derek, and I I don't know how we haven't done this yet. You know, this World Series is unique in the sense that this is the Andrew Friedman World Series. He established the Tampa Bay Rays, and now he obviously is with the Dodgers. And so uh, these are essentially the products of Andrew Friedman. Um, And what does Andrew Friedman like to do more than any other out there? He likes to think a different way. And so just expect that with the added incentive that this is his former team, that he essentially helped establish get to this World Series. uh, So there's going to be an unconventional way, I think, of the Dodgers – and how they manage this bullpen. We might be seeing uh, in game two, for all we know, since it hasn't been announced, watch somebody like a Pedro Baez be the opener. I mean, it's it's really impossible right now to predict the Dodgers' bullpen. I think the Rays are an easy choice in terms of favoring bullpen simply because there's more reliability, there's more consistency, and on top of that, we kind of know what we're going to expect from them. Yeah, I think that's all fair. So, uh who would you give the edge to as a manager? For me, it's about a wash. Why is it a wash? Uh, because I think both these guys are going to manage the game pretty similarly. They're going to bring pitchers in at weird times. Um, and, and I don't say weird like as a bad thing. Like uh, that's kind of a new age thought that, you know, you want to use your best pitchers in the highest leverage situation, whether it's the fourth inning, the eighth inning, the ninth inning. And both those guys kind of do that. Both of them are very analytically based both of them won World Series as players are looking for their first World Series as a coach or as a manager. So uh, I, I think it's pretty similar. Like, you know, if you held a gun to my head, like I'm, I'm sure I could come up with a decision of who I'd pick between the two. But to me, it's close enough that I'd just call it a wash. You know, I, I think it's actually a pretty fair point. And uh, as you mentioned, yes, it, all bias aside, um, Dave Roberts, the way that he managed game seven of the NLCS – completely different than anything I think we've seen all year long for the first time he actually trusted what he had out on the field instead of feeling the need to anticipate he he trusted the hot hand and that's not like him it's still hard consistency is a big thing you got to look at here Kevin Cash has been as consistent as they come I think he's the manager of the year personally for the American League Uh, it's up there in discussion Rocco Baldelli may deserve that as well um, Dusty Baker may deserve that as well. I, you, you look at those guys and any of those. Oh, pick guys. yourself for the award. You know, I mean, honestly, I, I look at it and I think uh, out of all the contestants in the room, I am the best one. So, no, but in reality, I, I do think it's – I think I trust the instincts of Dave Roberts actually a little more than Kevin Cash because 
what you saw in game seven just proves that he trusts his guys. Um, the problem is the overmanaging. And so I will give Kevin Cash the, the lean on this one simply because he trusts his bullpen. He uses them in a pretty understandable order as well. It's not, it's, there's no shocks. There's nothing surprising. Kevin Cash finds ways to use what he's given um, and, and he finds ways to win. And with the Dodgers, they have all the talent in the world. The problem is Dave Roberts overmanaging is kind of the way that they find ways to lose. I, I have to go back to the 2018 World Series. Uh, the big thing that always will stick out to me was Rich Hill rolling in game four and uh, against the Red Sox. And at this time, the Dodgers were down just 2-1 in the series. A lot of people think that the Red Sox ran away with that series. They really did not. Yasiel Puig get a three-run home run. Dodgers were up 4 to nothing. But then it was a Dave Roberts move to pull Rich Hill when he was rolling. The pitch count was just fine. Brought in Ryan Madsen. And just like that, Mitch Moreland hits a three-run home run. And later on, it's a Rafael Devers base hit that makes it a 5-4 game. I mean, it's it's the overmanaging and not trusting the starting pitching that may ultimately lead me to believe uh, that Kevin Cash in this one is the safer of the two managers. When you're sitting as a Dodgers fan, I can tell you right now, you're never sitting comfortably. You're never sitting comfortably because you never know what Dave Roberts will do or what he will pull. Um, but in terms of trusting his players, I think Dave Roberts does a better job. I think Kevin Cash does a better job at making sense of the moves that he makes. He had one of those kind of moves. He pulled Charlie Morton kind of early in that series. Um, as far as defense, I, I think it's – I kind of view it the same way. You know, you could argue one way or the other. Um, the Rays, their series in the ALCS, they were phenomenal on defense. They were catching everything. Over the course of the regular season, a lot of the numbers are, are pretty similar, like fielding percentage, defensive runs saved above average, range factor. They're pretty similar. With the Dodgers, you have the Mookie Betts factor. He was fantastic in that series against the Braves. Uh, the Rays, it just kind of depends what lineup they're playing. Like, if they put out a lineup where Kevin Kiermeyer's in center field and Manuel Margot's in, in right or something, like it's going to be a really good defensive outfielder. But it, it just kind of depends what they put out there. So one thing that I'm always interested in with the World Series and who wins it all is the immediate aftermath of what happens based on if that team wins. So if the Rays win, and we'll get to our predictions here in a second, I think it's going to be, you know, beyond just the it's a cool story for the organization. Um, I hope that what it doesn't turn into is all these different owners, billionaire owners saying, oh, well, they got it done with a really small payroll, so we can do the right. same. And it, it lessens the amount that these players are getting paid and it, it kills free agency a little bit. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it's just more so viewed as like a cool Cinderella story, so to speak. Um, I think from a playing perspective, if the Rays win the World Series, because I, I would almost view it similarly to when the Royals won the World Series in 2015. Immediately after that, you had teams spending big on like relievers because you had like Wade Davis and Kelvin Herrera. And the year before when they made the World Series, you had uh, Greg Holland as well. And it was that great bullpen. And so teams started to value that. And it's really whenever a team wins at all, other teams start to value that and they want to copy that pattern. So I think if the Rays win it all, um, probably an emphasis on, you know, get yourself just a bunch of flamethrowing pitchers. Don't worry about the starter reliever tag. Just get a bunch of guys who have filthy arm angles and stuff and figure it out from there. So what's your prediction for the series? 
You know, this is really, to put it simply, and we've talked for a while about this, it's going to be the battle of the Dodgers lineup versus the Rays bullpen. That's what it's ultimately going to come down to because I think the Rays starting pitching is going to go head-to-head with the Dodgers, and it's going to be awfully close. I think Dave Roberts will find ways to match up. A lot of these games are going to be three to two, five to three kind of ball games. Prediction-wise, this thing's going seven. Quite frankly, I think we get that Walker Bueller Charlie Morton matchup. It just feels like that when you go into this. In the Dodgers lineup, showed me something that I think a lot of people didn't really believe in until this series against the Braves, and that's that there's so many different pieces in that lineup that can come in clutch. You have Game Five, Will Smith. He hits the home run off of Will Smith. Uh, universe broke apart, collapsed. Everything Gemini Man. We, we, we realized 2020 instantly once that happened. Uh, we, we knew that uh, that just couldn't be possible, right? Well, the moment that Will Smith hits that home run, I think the Dodgers' clutch gene somehow reappeared. Cody Bellinger with that what would turn out to be game-winning home run in the seventh inning against the Braves. You know, the Dodgers just faced, I think, the second-best team offensively, and the numbers would indicate it as well, the second-best team in baseball offensively. And so – Going against a team that kind of ranks in the middle grounds of that, I think the lineup's going to outweigh the pitching. If the Dodgers can get to the seventh inning with a lead, then they're going to be winning ballgames. If they're going to the seventh inning trailing, that's going to be the Rays securing it easily. Because the moment that the Rays have a lead in the seventh inning, that game is over. Uh, That's just how I look at it right now. This is going seven. Um, I'm going to take the Dodgers four games to three. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, the Dodgers in six. I I think that it's just – too much depth on offense. Um, the fact that the Rays' biggest strength, arguably in pitching, doesn't leave them with a ton of stud lefties to get out guys like Jock Peterson, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, enough so to make a big difference to overcome the lineup differential to where I'm worried that if Randy Rosarena isn't supernova again, what does that offense look like? Um, I also don't think you're going to get quite the production you just got from Mike Zanino because he hit, you know, under the Mendoza line in the regular season and then uh, came up with clutch hit after clutch hit in the ALCS. So I, I think that Dodgers still have more than enough pitching, even though it's not quite, I think, to the level of the Rays. So I'll take the Dodgers in uh, six. One thing to also keep in mind with all of this, the Rays have not been to the World Series since 2008. The Dodgers have been to the World Series three of the last four years. This has clearly been the hump that they've struggled to get over. Uh, and there, we can throw numbers out, and most of them are going to indicate, I think, exactly how the series is going to go. But the one thing that's the human element of this is knowing that they just survived, both, both of these teams for that matter, just survived their series that were emotionally draining series. They had one day off, and now they're going back at it to face each other again. Which team has the durability – which team has the drive, but more than anything else, I think experience comes into the play here. Mookie Betts has already won a World Series against his own team now uh, in 2018. Charlie Morton's won a World Series in 2017. I, I would be a little scared in Game 7, to be honest with you. Uh, if it was anybody other than Walker Bueller that would be facing Charlie Morton, but when you have Walker Bueller on the hill, you, you mentioned those numbers, man. I mean, that, that kid can go out there and absolutely deal every time he goes out there. And so with that in mind – that's kind of where that pick goes for me. It's, it's simply because there's a history with the Dodgers, a recent history. And I think having that postseason frustration 
of 2017, the news wasn't revealed till this off season. And uh, you could hear by the interviews that that clearly wore on the Dodgers. Uh, my personal belief is that they probably wanted to face the Astros in the world series. And ultimately this is a very talented team. It could really go either way. That's why I see it go seven. I just think there's going to be a lot of emotional four to three games. Uh, at the end of the day, I see the series going four to three in favor of the Dodgers though. Let's get into some prop bets here. Last call bar is about to be closed. <laughs> Who wins game one? We both have the Dodgers winning the series. Game one is Tuesday night. We're recording this on Monday night. Clayton Kershaw on the bump for the Dodgers. Tyler Glasnow on the bump for the Rays. And we're going to sign drinks to both. So if you're picking the Dodgers and you're wrong, you owe two drinks. If you're picking the Rays and you're wrong, you only owe one drink because the Dodgers are minus 170 money line betting-wise. Who do you like in game one? When, when you look at Tyler Glass now, the way he's been pitching lately, it's been – nearly lights out. I think that he's going to be rolling through the Dodgers for the first six innings, uh, but the Dodgers have had a lot of late hitting. So I think that while you can look at this pitching matchup, I think Clayton Kershaw is going to go out with a, a fire against the Rays. I, I don't think he's going to look at this lineup and think that this is going to be any uh, more difficult than in any means than going against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I think that Kershaw and, and Glass now are going to match each other shot for shot, basically. And uh, ultimately I think the Dodgers will get that late clutch hit. Uh, that money line, I feel a little uncomfortable with it, I'll be honest. Uh, more so, though, what I like is actually that spread. Uh, when you look at the spread, it's minus one and a half for the Dodgers, plus 115. I think I might actually take that, um, ultimately, because I think the Dodgers get some sort of two or three run home run late in the ball game. I'm going to take the Dodgers winning it three to one. Uh, over the Rays in game one of the World Series. So you would be picking the under, you're picking the Dodgers' money line, and you'd pick the Dodgers to cover the one-and-a-half run spread. I'm going to actually go with the Rays in this one. And the reason why, I I just don't totally trust Clayton Kershaw. I think you brought up like a lot of the struggles. Uh, they get a little overblown, and it's because of the fact that sometimes it's mismanagement. Sometimes his bullpen doesn't pick him up. But at the same point in time, I kind of get where it's coming from because if he had a 4.4 ERA in the postseason and he was, I don't know, John Lackey, it would be like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. But when he's been the best pitcher of my lifetime and then you have that in the postseason, it's a little weirder. So I, I, I don't think he's going to implode or anything. But weirdly enough, with Tyler Glass now this year, he has a better ERA against lefties than righties. So if Dave Roberts loads up the, the lineup with lefties, which I'm sure he will with Corey Seager and Muncie and, you know, Jock Peterson and Cody Bellinger, I don't know how much that'll actually impact things. You make a very good point too. The depth of the lineup for the Dodgers, it will probably, you will probably see Jock Peterson. Uh, Edwin Rios is going to be an interesting one to see if he's actually DHing in this one. I think that, if you, that's another lefty bat that could potentially come off the bench or star for him. And that, that just goes to your point right there that Dave Roberts, it, normally the Dodgers analytics, they're the last ones that are ever going to be fooled. Uh, I will take the Rays in game one, four to three. I think it's a close game, but I'll take the Rays there. So on our next show, and, and I don't know when we'll do that. Um, we'll see if we can get one in, in between the world series or after or whatnot. Uh, but you would owe two drinks if the Dodgers lose. I would owe one drink if the Rays lose. Uh, all right, who wins World Series MVP? Corey Seager won the NLCS MVP, and uh, he was very deserving of that. I don't think we're going to see the same offensive outburst by any means 
even though he will be facing the righty in glass now, he'll be facing the righty in Charlie Morton. Uh, you mentioned just now, of course, the glass now is actually better against lefties. It, the safe pick here is Mookie Betts, but I'm actually going to go in a completely different direction here. I think Walker Bueller may have a chance to shut it down here. Game three, Walker Bueller gets the win, uh, and then game seven as well. Uh, those are two huge games that he's going to have to step up and win in. Bueller's going to probably have to pitch in the most important game, in my opinion, in game seven, and uh, he's going to have to shut it down, and I think he will. I think that's a great pick. If I wasn't picking the Dodgers in six, if I was picking them in seven, I would agree with you. Or if Bueller was just pitching game two and game six, I would pick that. But given that I'm picking it to win in six, you know, I'm not going to have two games from Walker Bueller. So I'm going to go with the obvious one. You mentioned Mookie Betts in his career against the Tampa Bay Rays, hitting 310, 386 OBP, 506 slugging. He's got 16 home runs, which uh, is the second most home runs that he's had against any opponent. The only one that he's had more against are the lowly Baltimore Orioles. So, uh, yeah, give me Mookie Betts for that one. More home runs in the series, Randy Rosarena or Corey Seager? I feel like that's going to be close to even. Um, I think that you're going to see a lot more walks probably between those two hitters than you will actual home runs because uh, I think the Rays and Dodgers are both respectively going to pitch not necessarily around those two, uh, but they are not going to be seeing the same pitches they saw in the NL and ALCS. And so I'm going to say, honestly, I would probably say even if we're being completely honest, I'm going to guess probably each of them hits one to two home runs. I'll say two just to be give a consistent number. I'm, I'm saying it's straight even actually. Okay, that's fine. You can take that. It's two drinks for that. But by the way, the World Series MVP, that's worth five drinks. Um, I'm going to go with Corey Seager. I just think that why, if you were the Dodgers, seeing what Randy Rosarena just did, especially if, if they do pitch to him in game one and he, he goes off again, why would you pitch to him? I don't know why the Astros kept pitching to them. He was like their whole offense at certain points. <laughs> so I think the Dodgers would be smart enough to not pitch to him. Or if he just has a rough start to the series, then – you don't even have to worry about it. So I'm going to go with Corey Seager there. Uh, on to the next one. Kenley Jansen, over under one and a half saves. Yeah, I'm going to take the over actually on that. Uh, after that that closing of game six, I think that gave Dave Roberts a little bit of reassurance that maybe this is our guy. And we've talked this entire time about how he's going to use May, Urias, and Gonsolin. Those are the three names you're going to be hearing a lot because the role is not set in place. Well, while you have those three names, he's not going to have Pedro Baez close out any games. He's maybe going to have Urias. That's the one that's going to be interesting to monitor, I think, is Urias. But there's going to be four wins the Dodgers need. I think all four of those are going to be save opportunities. And I think that means at least half of those are going to go to Kenley Jansen. I'm going to say he gets at least two saves. I could see him getting as many as three saves, to be honest. Uh, but I think over one and a half saves. I think that that's going to clear. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take the under. I think he ends up with one. I just think they're going to kind of use bullpen guys at different times. I don't know what to think of Kenley Jansen at this point. At times he hasn't been put in, you know, high leverage situations at other times they kind of had to in games five and game six. So uh, who knows? I'm just going to kind of go with the under right now. <laughs> Cause it seems like it's trending that way over under 20 total home runs. This will be for two drinks. The Kenley Jansen one, I don't know if I said this, but that was for one drink. Just for a point of reference here, Nationals-Astros last year, that went seven. That had 22 total home runs. Uh, and the Rays so far this postseason, 25 bombs in 14 games. 
Dodgers have 18 bombs in 12 games. So about one and a half on average for both, a little under that for the Rays. So pretty much about three per game. If you combine the two teams, if it went seven games, that puts you 21. If it went six games, you'd be a little under, over under 20 total home runs. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to have to keep sticking with the fact that I, I'm keeping that this is going seven games in mind. Uh, fun fact, the Dodgers hit 16 home runs in the National League Championship Series. That is an NL record uh, for the National League Championship Series. And so that alone, uh, I don't think that they're going to be hitting 16 home runs against the Rays starting pitching their bullpen. But I do think it's still – that's the way the Dodgers score runs uh, primarily. And that's the way the Rays score as well. I think 20 home runs is pretty much right on the dot where you're going to see that. So, yes, I, I think that that's what we're going to see. That You'll see a game probably where there's only one home run hit. I wouldn't be shocked if there's a 1-0 game that ends that way, you know. But I think that at the end of the day, yeah, you're going to see probably probably 20 home runs. Yeah, you mentioned kind of the lack of small ball. I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, race over 70% of their runs so far in the playoffs from home runs. Dodgers, like you said, a lot of their runs come from home runs as well. It was interesting because the Rays in the regular season, they were sixth in uh, stolen bases over the course of the regular season. They have two steals in the postseason, which actually puts into question if everybody will be getting a Doritos Locos Taco <laughs> over uh, the next week or so. If even just one base is stolen, then it's a free Doritos Loco Taco for everybody, which uh, holds a high place in our heart. I remember back in one of the World Series, somebody stole a base. The Royals. The Kansas it was the Royals. 2015. Okay, and somebody stole a base, and we went to like three or four different Taco Bells. Each one got our free taco. It was a waste of gas. We probably spent more money on the gas money than we did the $1.50 tacos. Absolutely not a waste of gas. That was was the most perfect adventure that we needed. It's the same thing as going to 7-Eleven on July the 11th. Like, it's something that you have to do. Uh, set down your things and go get that taco. But yeah, I, it, it's a good point that you mentioned that the Rays really haven't been that aggressive on the base paths. One thing that you should notice, though, is uh, I think that you're going to see them be a little more aggressive. Will Smith struggled in game seven. Um, you're going to see Will Smith as the primary catcher behind home plate. The Braves should have probably taken more advantage of the fact that he was behind home plate. They stole two bases in the first two innings, uh, but they also just didn't get enough guys on base, and that's why they couldn't do that. Uh, the Rays have guys that can steal. Um, and so th- I think that we're going to probably end up seeing that. Uh, over under half a streaker on the field. It doesn't have to be an actual streaker. I just, I mean, is there a term for somebody who just runs on the field with their clothes on, or is it all just grouped together as streakers? I think that if it's a, a female, it's a streakette. And if it's a, <laughs> a male, it's a, a streako. So, uh, it, you, you know, back to the Spanish origins. Also, Derek and I had a Spanish class together. Shout out to uh, Miss Senora Hernandez Foster. Um, so you could do a streako, streako, streakamos, streakon. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll say streako for the man and streakat for the woman. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to, I would like to see it. I just, I know the security people there. And so for the benefit, <laughs> in case any of them is watching, shout out to Frog Herder Scott out there. They do a fantastic job. I don't think there's going to be a streaker. Uh, you only have 10,700 fans that are allowed to attend this game, unless they decide to open more capacity, which I think at this point is a little too late to do that. It's roughly 28% capacity at Globe Life Field. I'm going to say, yeah, as great as that would be, out of 10,700 fans, one of them to actually go and streak, that would be pretty cool. But, uh, you know, they have to buy seats in packs of four. And uh, I think those are three very unhappy people that one person would be sitting next to. 
if they also have to leave after spending who knows how much money around 1700 is the cheapest I've seen. So I'm going to say no, no streaker this time as much as I'd like to, if you will streak out there though, uh, we will do a cheers for you. So mm. to say the least, realistically, don't you're, you're spending a lot of money for it. <laughs> and I know it's easier this year. You don't have the fans in front of you. You can easily get down to the field, but don't And especially like, like imagine if a fan had COVID and they ran on the field and like hugged, one of the outfielders and then yeah so don't do that what's your oh pick? i'm sorry i'm picking the under as well Boo. So that'll be worth give a drink the people what they want Derek. give the people what they want <laughs> all right fine i'll bet the over i'll bet the over i i appreciate that okay next one more mentions you mentioned earlier andrew friedman how this is kind of the andrew freeman bowl with him formerly being at the rays now with the dodgers I think a low-key candidate to get more mentions than him is the pitcher who's not pitching in this series for the Dodgers. Used to pitch on the Rays. I think now you start to question, did David Price opt out of the season because he knew they'd play the Rays in the World Series and he is a Rays sleeper spy that was sent over to try to sabotage this series? Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier today about David Price and, and he was actually the Game 5 starter and winner of the World Series for 2018. Now he sits out the regular season and postseason for 2020 when he's acquired by the Dodgers. And who does he face? He faces the Tampa Bay Rays. It just makes perfect sense. It's an inside job. Uh, however, while I will be tweeting about that, for sure, every single moment that I get the chance to, I still think the Andrew Friedman Bowl will win it all, mainly because Dodgers fans, somehow Andrew Friedman is just another player on this team. It, it's like he has his own fan base it's kind of amazing there's there's fake twitter accounts out there right now that say uh, andrew friedman genius i mean it, it is truly remarkable every single day that you're watching one of these games you're going to be hearing andrew friedman the times you will be hearing about david price is anytime the dodgers are in trouble which will happen they will be in trouble at some point but i think andrew friedman just takes takes the cake on this one I kind of agree with you, but I just want to be uh, a contrarian. So I'm going to take David Price and root for that. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up here? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that you got to really keep the eye on. Um, these are two very talented teams. Uh, it's been a gauntlet of a season. This is the first time ever that you've had 60 games uh, and every game mattered this time around. You had the wild card round added to that. There's been a lot of pressure games for both of these teams. The Rays, in fact, outside of the sweep in the first round, they've had to go to the final game in both the ALDS and ALCS. It, it's foreshadowing of what I expect to happen in the series, which is why I expect it to go seven, and I don't expect any blowouts. I, I, I just think that these are two very evenly matched teams because you have the Rays pitching. Even though the Dodgers have good pitching, it's the Rays pitching versus the Dodgers hitting. At the end of the day – if the Rays can limit the Dodgers on offense, Rays are going to win this thing. If the Dodgers offense continues to do what it did against the Braves, they're winning the World Series. And that's as simple as it gets right there. A lot of people are going to look at Randy Rosarena. I want Brousseau. I think he is an impact player that kind of people somewhat forgot about after, obviously, his heroics against the Yankees. I think he's going to have a huge impact because the Dodgers are going to try and not let a Rosarena beat them. As for the Dodgers, the name that I thought was going to show up in Game 7 that didn't, I'm still going to stick true to him because I think that he's probably one of the most clutch hitters for them is Edwin Rios. I think Edwin Rios coming off the bench, there's going to be a moment in time where they're going to desperately need him. They're already going to use Jock Peterson in a game. Uh, it'll probably be one of the classic Jock Peterson to AJ Pollock or vice versa switches uh, that ends up with Edwin Rios. I think Edwin Rios is going to have a big hit at some point this series. 
Well, Dusty, cheers on our first episode. Um, hope you enjoyed your crummy seltzer. Uh, it's a heck of a way to start out, my friend, but uh, I, I really enjoyed this. We're going to have a, a great time moving forward as well. This is something we plan on doing. We're establishing it right now. Uh, it's obviously getting the kinks out of the way. As you can tell, somebody called me in the middle of this thing. So cheers to you, Derek. Great job on the other end, and uh, can't wait for the next one, man. I think that phone call was the real Dusty Baker calling and saying, you're spoiling my good name with what you're drinking. But uh, I, I know I enjoyed my golden ale. Cheers to you, the listener, as well. That's going to do it for episode one of Booze and Baseball. Not sure when we're going to have the second episode out, as Dusty mentioned, maybe after the World Series sometime next week. Currently, we're on Podbean. We're in the midst of getting on Apple, Google Play, Audible, and more. So stay tuned for that. Follow us on social media. Thanks for tuning in. He's Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. Drink responsibly and enjoy the World Series. Take care, y'all. Happy October.